Hello and welcome. These are some sermons given by Monsignor Rosito from the years 1995 to the year 2016. Enjoy. Today is the second Sunday after Epiphany and the epistle is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Brethren, we have gifts differing according to the grace that has been given us, such as prophecy to be used according to the proportion of faith or ministry in ministering or he who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhorting, and he who gives in simplicity. He who presides with cheerfulness, with carefulness. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without pretense. Hate what is evil, hold what is good. Love one another with fraternal charity, anticipating one another with honor. Be not slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Be patient in tribulation, persevering in prayer. Share the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of one mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but condescend to the lowly. And the Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. John. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. At that time, a marriage took place at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, Jesus, too, was invited to the marriage, and also his disciples. And the wine having run short, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, What wouldst thou have me do, woman? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the attendants, do whatever he tells you. Now six stone water jars were placed there after the Jewish manner of purification, each holding one or uh, two or three measures. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And Jesus said to them, Draw out now and take to the chief steward. And they took it to him. Now when the chief steward had tasted the water after it had become wine, not knowing whence it was, though the attendants who had drawn the water knew, the chief stewards called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at first sets forth a good wine, and when they have drunk freely, then that which is poorer. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This first of his signs, Jesus worked at Cana of Galilee, and he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So far the words of this day's holy gospel. Be patient in tribulation, persevering in prayer. Share the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. These are words taken from the epistle of today's Holy Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear friends in Christ, perhaps it was the picture in the hall that I would see as a very small boy wondering at who this lady was that had a little hint of a smile that seemed to come to you and at the same time draw you to her. I did not know who she was, but she stood there as a silent presence all these growing years with that bouquet of roses in her arms and the cross that was nestled in its midst. It was only later when I saw the movie of her life the life of St. Teresa, the child Jesus, 
that I wondered why the authorities of the church would not allow her to enter the convent that she so badly wanted to go into to offer her life in the service of God. It was the initiation, perhaps, of the thought of entering into a religious life, life dedicated to God, but who knows? Perhaps it was the picture in the hall that was the saint that later after ordination found me in the Diocese of Monterey, Fresno, dedicated to no other than St. Teresa of the Child Jesus. We find that the influence of the saints in our lives is not negligible. It is something Protestants find offensive. In their theology, it is only Jesus that is necessary and his merits that cover us over that the gift of faith and trust and belief gives them their means of salvation. So they have no need of saints or the Blessed Mother. In fact, they have divested the Catholic religion that they abandoned with Martin Luther to pour out the perfume and keep the bottle instead. Or as we might say, to peel the orange and keep the peeling and throwing away the fruit. They have Jesus, but they do not have the Blessed Sacrament. They do not have Jesus in its reality. In his reality, they have only the picture and reminder and a blind hope or trust that his merits will be enough to bypass all the other things that he has established for us in our Catholic faith, one of which was the veneration of saints. In those growing years of childhood, I attended Mass in the Italian church, St. Paul's Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. It was decorated with many statues of saints along both sides of the walls. And as you entered into the church, even though you did not know who these saints were, they were a presence of the family of God that you felt comfortable among that entering the church from the mundane world, especially the schoolyard with its petty fights and thievery and the things that go on in childhood years, here was a quiet place where the saints were assembled before God who on the altar drew your attention and your devotion even in a remote way but nevertheless in a solace like a perfume that pervaded you from the surroundings that you unconsciously felt, though did not directly observe. What about the first commandment of God that forbids us making graven images or likenesses of anything on earth? The Protestants make this their second commandment. So important is it to them that they repudiate the veneration of saints and statues and relics that are important to us as Catholics, provided we understand the proper veneration of the saints in view of the first commandment of God. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. So in Lesson 93 in our uh, book, Bishop Morrow's book, My Catholic Faith, we come to the subject of the veneration of saints. The question is, does the first commandment forbid us to honor the saints in heaven? The answer simply, the first commandment does not forbid us to honor the saints in heaven, provided we do not give them the honor that belongs to God alone. This is the main objection 
to Protestants who are offended at veneration of the saints because they say it takes away from that which is due to Christ himself. And the veneration of the Blessed Mother is particularly uh, objected to, uh, strong as it is among Catholics. Devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary and veneration of the saints are not opposed to the commandment to adore God alone. We do not worship the saints. We only honor them as the special friends and servants of God. We adore God alone. This distinction of worship and honor is very important, even though it is waved away by those who are still offended even at the honor given to the saints and the Blessed Mother. Now, by venerating the saints, we honor God himself, who is the cause of their holiness. So you see how your intentions are so very important in what you do, what you decide, what you choose, because it gives the direction to the action that follows your choices. And if it's informed and understood, then they share the action, share in the blessing of this understanding and intention to worship God through the things that we are given by God to use them in his honor, in his service, and for his glory and for our benefit. And there's no harsh uh, distraction or deviation in all of this because it's all unified under the worship of God. It's our faith that directs us in this proper uh, attitude. Without the help of God, they would not have done anything holy, as is true of ourselves. We do not adore saints. We should not reverence those who... Or should we not reverence those who reflect God's perfections, however? We don't mind smelling a rose or admire the beauty of a landscape, setting sun. All these things in nature draw us to almost a hallowed appreciation of God's creation. Do we worship these things? Some do. They have nature worship. They bypass God, the creator of these things, and worship the things that he has made. And this is idolatry, forbidden. Though we honor God in his beauty, in his power, in his orderliness that we find in creation that he's made, and we honor all of this in God himself. So we venerate the saints. Similarly, we honor outstanding persons on earth. You might have civic saints. You might call them heroes. Whether their moral lives are worthy of honor, but we do re recognize their bravery and we re respect this much of their goodness. Uh, but we do not adore them. Um, some almost worship uh, human beings, but this is misplaced or exaggerated, and we don't want to go into the aberrations, but to keep on course with the proper realization of why we honor them for the things they have done. We give to God the supreme honor and adoration called latria. It's a Latin word which means supreme worship. We render the saints our veneration called dulia, a Latin word which means honor uh, in a supernatural way, but not worship. To the Blessed Virgin, we give special veneration called hyperdulia, not dulia, which goes to the saints, but hyper or super dulia or honor because she is above all angels and saints as the mother of God. But even the Blessed Virgin we do not and cannot adore or worship. However, saintly, not all the saints and angels together can approach the full or infinite holiness of God himself. 
We show honor to God when we venerate those to whom he has granted grace to resemble him. And remember, we are called to this resemblance. Let us make man after our own image and likeness. This was the plan of God, the pattern. It was lost. Christ restored it by coming himself as the perfect image of the Father in heaven as man to bring us into this image and likeness of Christ, which is the image and likeness of God himself. And so the saints have already accomplished this with God's help and grace and their cooperation as an incentive for us to see, remember, recall, and to imitate. We show honor to God then when we venerate those to whom was granted grace to resemble him. Those who died in the grace of God and those who are already in heaven and especially those whom the church has canonized are called saints with a capital S. They're canonized and recognized and officially honored in the calendar of the church's liturgy. Before beatification, before they're beatified, not canonized or sanctified in the sense that recognized canonization, but before beatification, a very careful inquiry is made into the holiness of the person concerned. Usually, there is a local realization of outstanding goodness in a person, and this becomes, you might say, like a rumor that is brought to the attention of authorities in the local church, then who will consider it and investigate it? This is the investigation into the life of the holiness of this person. The preliminary inquiry usually does not take place until at least 50 years after the person's death. You wonder why so long when most people then probably that knew the person won't be around that much to be inquired or to be investigated in. But uh, this is usually the case. Sometimes hundreds of years pass. You wonder how do they bring up this person after the passage of a great length of time. But in God's providence, these things do take place. Now, before beatification, the first stage of the inquiry uh, to be accomplished in the way towards sanctification, that is, the declaration of sanctification, two certain and, that is T-W-O, the number two certain and unquestionable miracles must be worked at the intercession of the one whose cause is being considered. Now, there's a lot of... Um, wishful thinking, there's a lot of exaggerating uh, interpretation sometimes, but the church will not accept anything except that which is clearly a miracle beyond the power of man or person's imagination to heighten and must be authenticated by church authorities who have a lot of experience in this after 2,000 years of uh, dealing in the miraculous and the occult, both to see that Satan is not interfering here with a false worship. And these miracles must be worked at the intercession of the saints. So it's clearly that this person who is regarded as holy is invoked to produce some favor or miracle at the request of the client, you might say, that will then authenticate the fact by bringing it to the attention of authorities who will investigate it for its surety and then mark it down that this is a a miracle work because of the intercession of this particular holy person who now can be considered uh, for beatification. Two miracles are required. Now, these miracles prove his being in heaven. 
Um, this is one of the proofs of the sanctification of a person inquired into that it is God's sign to us that this person is in heaven. These miracles prove his being in heaven. One who is beatified then is called blessed, not holy, uh, but blessed. So, blessed Catherine Emmerich. Uh, before canonization is only called blessed and not holy or saint. A limited public uh, devotion to him then is permitted. Local public devotion can be had to a particular holy person who is beatified. Now, secondly, canonization is the solemn declaration that a person led a heroic life, not just a good life, but a heroically good life, and is in heaven, and therefore may be publicly venerated by the whole church. After canonization, a person is called a saint. Now, be, after beatification, now the second, first stage, two additional miracles must be worked at the intercession of the blessed before he can be canonized. So there are a total of four miracles required. <clears throat> and this is a pretty um, um, good system of check and balance that no intrusion of error can then enter into this declaration. After beatification, two additional miracles must be worked at the intercession of the blessed before he can be canonized. Canonization is certainly not a demand for entrance into heaven. Now, it's not only those who are declared saints by canonization that are in heaven, but there are all kinds of holy people in heaven who will never be recognized by the church, uh, but are still in heaven. They, too, are saints with a small s, you might say. The church merely declares that a person is already there. It doesn't make them a saint. It doesn't uh, uh, turn our attention to this uh, in a sense that uh, the church had any input. It merely uh, declares that this person is actually in heaven. The holiness of the person's life is proved on the strict examination or in the strict examination before beatification. There's no one so skeptical as the church regarding miracles and the, the supernatural operations that could also be mimicked or imitated by the devil. The fact of his being in heaven is proved by the miracles worked at his intercession. So it's important that we have these miracles. Do Why do we honor the saints in heaven? We honor the saints in heaven because they practiced great virtue when they were on earth. And because in honoring those who are the chosen friends of God, we honor God himself. While still, still living on earth, the saints were of outstanding holiness in themselves and did good to others for the love of God. They were authentic Catholics. They did no more than we're supposed to do. We should therefore be saints also. But we're growing to that. We're overcoming the obstacles. We're undoing the sins of the past. We are purifying our lives with the grace of God to increase so that we too become holy in a heroic a level of God's appreciation by cooperating with his graces. The cause for the beatification of someone does not take place unless such holiness is outstanding and ascertained by competent authority. So we just can't canonize a person because we think he's holy. It must be from the church. Or unless the miracles worked by the person proposed for beatification are of a more extraordinary character. We venerate the saints because they are the chosen friends of God in heaven. If we are eager to show honor to earthly royalty, how much more should we honor the saints of God, princes of heaven? They are the true citizens of the kingdom of God. 
If we ask for prayers of our fellow men on earth, how much more eager should we be to ask the saints, our friends in heaven? They've already made it there. And they look down upon us with <clears throat> that desire to see us joining them. How can we honor the saints? We can honor the saints by imitating their holy lives. We have a little basket here of uh, saints' names that we asked you to choose from and to read up on during this coming year and imitate in a special way and honor certainly um, in the lives that they lived uh, on the same earth we're living on. The highest honor we can pay them is to imitate their virtues. Um, we may have special saints that we are attracted to, uh, patron saints, names that are given uh, that we honor by imitating their particular virtues. It's strange how the names that we get are significant, as if assigned to us because of some quality that will be characteristic of our own lives. We should try to develop these qualities and characteristics in line with the name of that saint. The saints are models presented by the church before our eyes so that we may know how to live according to the desires of God. As I say, it's like a perfume that, though you cannot see, does influence us at least um, temporarily when we see their statues or their, their pictures. And it penetrates us if we are open to this influence that comes from God through them and back again through them to God himself. Secondly, by praying to them. We honor them by praising them in word and song and asking for their intercession. Again, the Protestants will not have any of this. To pray to the saints is blasphemy in their eyes, and yet we pray to God through them. We do that on earth. We ask our friends to intercede for us with those whom they are influential with, and we have no offense in doing such a thing. And so why would we deny that to the saints in heaven to ask their intercession on our behalf? We may pray in private to anyone who we believe is either in heaven or purgatory, but we are forbidden to give public veneration to anyone who is not beatified or canonized. So we don't publicly honor anybody who's alive. Who knows what will happen at the last moment of their lives if they are tempted strongly enough to abandon God. So... Uh, we give it to those who are in heaven or in purgatory, as we may think them to be, but we do so privately. Thirdly, by showing respect to their relics and images. We also give the saints honor when we celebrate their feasts or take them as our patrons and models. When we pray to the saints, what do we ask them to do? When we pray to the saints, we ask them to offer their prayers to God for us. This is what we call the intercession of the saints. You know, their prayers are powerful, and God does hear their prayers. And so it's not foolish to ask for their more powerful prayers and ours that are sometimes tainted with selfishness or misdirected somewhat, and uh, know that uh, theirs are better prayers than our own. If we are grateful for the intercession of a friend before an earthly superior, how much more so should we be for the intercession of the saints before God. How many times have the saints obtained favors from God from men? And God likes this intercession, as he said, he would have spared Sodom for the sake of ten just men. It was destroyed by brimstone and fire, because there wasn't even found one. 
the one that was there with his family was told to leave and then the fire destroyed them that remained. Experience has proved that much is gained by invoking certain saints in times of special need. It appears that God has given to individual saints powers to help us in special needs. Thus we invoke St. Joseph as the patron of a happy death, St. Anthony when we have lost anything, St. Blaise for diseases of the throat, and so on. Many wonderful answers to prayers uh, uh, led to the belief that the saints take particular interest in persons whose circumstances are the same as theirs were on earth. So we study their lives and we see what it was that they were especially capable of doing, that they continue to do so uh, after death. How do we know that the saints will pray for us? We know that the saints will pray for us because they are with God and have great love for us. The obstacles of their love and knowledge are taken away with death. All these hindrances of the body and its directions to earthly things are now removed so you can see the purification of their intention and their devotion and their love for us. The saints in heaven are with us members of the church, of one body belonging to Christ. So they're not separated from us. They are now in the church uh, triumphant while we remain yet with the church militant. So we the many are one body in Christ, St. Paul says, but severally members one of another. So read the epistle of today and the gospel, and you see this concern to have care for one another as saints among saints. Members of the same body give mutual help to each other. The saints help us by their prayers before God. On our part, we honor and imitate them. Now we come to the last paragraph in this chapter, which unfortunately, is no longer true today as it once was. And it says, the church omits no opportunity to urge us to the veneration of saints. At baptism, we receive the name of a saint. Each day of the year, one or more saints are commemorated. Images and pictures of the saints are placed in the churches. Saints are invoked in the mass, the litanies, and other public prayers. After Vatican Council II, we see that this is almost eclipsed and there's almost an embarrassment for recognizing saints. The Blessed Mother is reduced to a simple statue, all the others removed in the modern churches. Stark Protestantism seems evident in this purification and this antiseptic atmosphere that is more human than divine anymore. The devotion to the Blessed Mother is no longer in the evidence that it once was, for example, devotions to Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Every Tuesday no longer is found that common anymore, nor other devotions uh, to the Blessed Mother or to the saints as in the past. The church worships God and honors the saints as friends and servants of God, so churches and altars are dedicated and consecrated to God alone although named after saints and placed under their protection. Now we have tables, no longer altars. The holy sacrifice of the Mass is offered to God alone, although it may be celebrated in memory of the saints. In praying, we say to God, have mercy on us, but to the saints, pray for us, just as we would say it to a dear friend. So this is the veneration of the saints that does not offend against the first commandment and there's a corollary on their relics and images in lesson 94. Why do we honor relics? 
We honor relics because they are the bodies of the saints or objects connected with the saints or with our Lord. In a similar manner, we preserve with reverence certain objects connected with our great men, a sword, a coat, or a book, books. Uh, We have these in our museums, national galleries, of heroes in civic life. Remains of the bodies of saints, the cross on which our Lord died, the nails that crucified him are all relics. The clothes and furniture used by the saints are also held as relics, called second class though. Only those relics are authentic to which the name of the saint and the Episcopal seal are attached. So you have a little wax seal with a thread on the back of a container of the relic of that saint that authenticates that this is approved by the church and usually a paper in Latin accompanies to identify what saint and what object is uh, contained in this reliquary, this capsule that contains the relic. Relics cannot be sold. To sell something holy is simony, but donations can be made um, for the gold container or something that attaches, but you cannot buy a relic as such. God has often shown his approval of the use of relics by working miracles by means of them. Uh, In the fourth book of Kings, when it had touched the bones of Eliseus, the man came to life. So here is a miracle for touching a relic to a dead man. Relics deserve to be venerated. The bodies of saints were temples of the Holy Ghost and instruments by which God worked. We say we are temples of the Holy Ghost. We should reserve and respect our bodies and each other's bodies as temples of God because the grace of God dwells within where his grace is, he is. And where his love is, he is. They will someday rise gloriously from the grave and be united with the soul in heaven. God shows his approval of the veneration of relics by working frequent miracles at their application. In certain cases, the bodies of the saints have remained incorrupt, as those of St. Teresa, St. Francis Xavier, St. Catherine of Bologna, and many others. The blood of St. Januarius, kept in a vial at Naples, liquefies several times a year for certain periods. God worked more than the usual miracles by the hand of St. Paul, so even handkerchiefs and aprons were carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. This is recorded in the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament. We honor relics when we preserve them with reverence, visit the places where they are deposited and pray before them and so on. Honor has been paid to relics from the earliest days of Christianity. When St. Ignatius, Bishop of Antioch, was thrown to the lion's two of his companions came by night and gathered up his bones. When St. Polycarp was burned alive, the Christians collected his ashes for veneration and so on. So it's an ancient practice in the church. Most prized of all relics are relics of the passion, particularly of the cross in which Christ died. Now some scoff at the relics of the cross saying that they are, there are too many to be genuine. But if all known pieces were put together, they would make a block only about one-sixth of a cubic foot. Today, the 12 most famous portions of the true cross range from six and a third cubic inches to 33 cubic inches. 
Now, take out your measure and get an idea how much that is. The largest are to be found in Jerusalem, Brussels, Ghent, and Rome, and particles venerated are very small. So a bishop who may have a particle of the true cross is only a tiny splitter in a capsule that he uh, carries as a relic of the true cross. Is it right to show respect to the statues and pictures of Christ and of the saints? It is right to show respect to the statues and pictures of Christ and of the saints, just as it is right to show respect to the images of those whom we love on earth. We cherish photographs of our family and friends. We cherish and honor our national flag, not because of the cloth out of which it is made, but because of what it represents. In a similar manner, we respect sacred statues and pictures. The honor we pay sacred images and pictures is not idolatry because we do not worship them. And Protestants seeing Catholics kneel before a statue of the Blessed Mother think they're worshiping that statue. And they fail to see the transference beyond the statue to the person in heaven um, as our Blessed Mother is. We honor sacred images in order to show our veneration for the persons they represent, not to adore them as gods. We make and use statues and pictures to remind us of Jesus Christ, Our Lady, and the saints. God himself, after giving the first commandment, ordered the making of statues to be placed in the temple. God cannot contradict himself. So we should know these things and see how to counter-argue uh, the accusations made against the practices that we have with reason guided by faith. Now, there are some who make superstition of these things. These are the exceptions. They are the errors, not the norm, not the rule. Some of the benefits we derive are from, uh, from the veneration of s- sacred images are first through them effective and sometimes supernatural graces are obtained. Uh, you get what you give. And if you give that veneration, the graces that God grants comes back again to you. There have been instances of mirac- miraculous pictures and statues as well as crucifixes. We hear weeping statues, not only of tears, but of blood. We say, are they uh, natural occurrences? Are they artificially caused? Or are they true miracles of God through these statues and pictures? Secondly, they help us avoid distraction by uh, in praying by fixing our attention. When you kneel before a statue, it's easier to concentrate than try to picture it in your mind alone. Thirdly, they give us a silent admonition to encourage us to imitation, the picture of St. Teresa of the Child Jesus, beautifully uh, painted, that has that attraction almost inculcated in that aspect of her representation. They are wonderful means of instructing the faithful in religion. One time, in the early days of the church, people did not read, but they looked at pictures and statues and they meditated upon the images of the virtues represented by an anchor or a dove or a book or a candle that they could be told about and then recalled at other times. The great artists of the world have been Catholic artists. Their greatest masterpieces treat of religious subjects. Even the most unlearned can understand a picture. Pictures worth a thousand words. Do we honor Christ and the saints when we pray before the crucifix, relics, and sacred images? We honor Christ and the saints when we pray before the crucifix, relics, and sacred images because we honor the persons they represent. We adore Christ and we venerate the saints. 
Our actions should always conform to the faith implied by the pictures we display. We have those holy images for holy purposes, for, to venerate the saints for God's sake and to imitate their holy lives. So they're well um, chosen and executed by the mastery of artists that have a supernatural faith and talent to express this faith in the production of their works. We show veneration for sacred pictures and statues by placing them in our homes, in churches, and in schools. Jesus made a special promise to bless the house which, in which an image of his sacred heart is exposed. We pray before them, adorn them with flowers, burn lights before them, and kiss them in reverence. We should make visits and pilgrimages to the tombs or shrines of the saints. Similarly, on civil holidays, we show honor to our heroes by placing wreaths on their graves, we visit their homes, we attend ceremonies, and so on. So this is what we do in society. Why would it be forbidden in religion? Above all other sacred representations, we venerate the crucifix most. It is the sign of our redemption. On the cross, our Lord died to save us from the consequences of sin. Now, we make a distinction between a cross and a crucifix. The crucifix has the representation of Christ himself hanging from the cross. A cross is merely the wood or the symbol uh, representing the upright and cross beam without the corpus of Christ. Such is the honor the church pays, play, pays the crucifix that she allows no sacrament to be administered, no mass to be celebrated, no act of worship to be performed unless in the presence of a crucifix. Now, that is not necessarily true today, unfortunately. We place the crucifix in the hands of the dying. It accompanies us to the grave. Every Christian home should have a crucifix prominently displayed. Don't be afraid to manifest your faith in your home by a crucifix in your front room. When people visit, let them see the cross that you honor. Do we pray to the crucifix or to the images and relics of the saints? We do not pray to the crucifix or to the images and the relics, but to the persons represented. The veneration we paid to sacred images and relics is not to be paid to the relic, picture, or statue itself, but to the one represented, God, or one of the saints or angels. In the same way, when we kiss our mother's picture, we do not give our affection to the paper, but to our mother. Disrespect to an image is disrespect to the one represented. And finally, in venerating relics, sacred statues, and pictures, we do not believe that any divine power resides in them. They cannot of themselves work miracles. They are mere instruments, inanimate objects that may be used by an almighty God. So this is a very important distinction to keep us from going into superstition or false worship uh, by worshiping the thing itself. It is the instrument through which we rise to the person represented. The numerous miracles worked through the use of relics were a result not of the relics power, but of God's acting through them. The Gospels tell the moving story of the woman cured by touching the hem of our Lord's garments. Yet, even that sacred garment did not of itself work the miracle. Christ used his power working through the garment. He felt the power had gone out from him. And so today, relics continue to play a part in the working of miracles, in the suspension of the natural law, but always as mere instruments of Almighty God. So, what power does a picture have? picture hanging in the hall to impress a tiny child who does not even know what it's all about 
but is drawn because of the beauty, the supernatural quality. It exudes, as it were, a perfume into that person's life to affect that person to a love of God and greater respect in the service of God and the adoration that goes to God through these holy people who are his friends, the saints. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.